Thank you, Father. I pray your blessing over um, in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm asking, Father, to do this big body and strong with the mind, my eyes, as long as you're worried. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to be here with you all on this sunny Sunday morning, first Sunday in Lent. What is Lent? I hear you say. Well, in a nutshell, it's the 40 days leading up to Easter, traditionally beginning on Ash Wednesday. And in traditional churches, it's a time devoted to fasting, abstinence, penitence, and almsgiving. And the purpose is to make us more God-centered and less self-centered. It's a time for reflection on God. So I was just looking up what it is, because though I was brought up in a Catholic home, I didn't really know. It was about giving up sugar for Lent or giving up sweets or something. But in the early church around 363 to 364, the Council of Laodicea prescribed the Lenten fast as of strict necessity. You will fast. You will be on your knees. So it was a prescribed thing. And obviously we're a free church. We don't always follow the, the Church of England or the Catholic Church um, traditional Sunday um, stuff. Thank you. But why, why 40 days? Well, in Exodus 34:28, Moses fasted for 40 days when he received the Ten Commandments. In 1 Kings 19:8, Elijah fasted until he got to Mount Horeb, where he heard the word of the Lord come to him. And in Matthew 4, 1 to 11, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil in preparation for what was to come for him. So that's the, the reason we have Lent. And I tried to fast last week, just a little personal note, so I thought... It would be good for me to fast. And honestly, the day I set to fast, I was so hungry. I think I, I ate more than any other day that week. And then I thought, oh, well, I won't do it today. I'll do it this day. Same thing happened again. And I think when we go to do something, I just the flesh doesn't want to do it. So I have to be honest, I didn't fast. Um, but I think it is something to think about for us as a church. You know, it doesn't have to be the big, I'm going to do this, that. But maybe a baby step towards setting aside time for God. And I think it's about denying your flesh, really. That's the thing. So whatever 
kind of a fast people choose, that's entirely between you and the Lord. But I think it was brought to my mind that it's a good thing to do. And maybe sometimes corporate fasts as well. But this is a hard thing to bring after so much joy. But that's, that's what I was given. In fact, what I wanted to talk about today was intercession. Because that's really on my heart. But somehow it had to be this today. But there is a need for someone to talk about intercession. But it wasn't given to me today. I, I did loads of research on it. But, but So when I was thinking about this, in a way, the idea of this obviously is to focus on God. And it's a bit like Advent before Christmas. At Advent... We're leading up to Christmas. At Lent, we're leading up to Easter. And I came to this birth, death, and marriage. So birth, at Advent, we're anticipating the coming of the king as a baby celebrated on Christmas Day. Death, at Easter, we're anticipating the resurrection of the king having conquered death once for all. And marriage... We're looking forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb when the time is fulfilled. So that's the, you often see births, deaths, and marriages, but actually, there's a ground. It's birth, death, and marriage for us, the church. That's what we do. So I think it's good to acknowledge Lent, even if we're not stuck in the structure of it. So I'm going to focus on the one aspect of Lent, which is repentance. Um, as I said, I wanted to speak about intercession, but it has to be this. And so we'll turn to Psalm 51 in a minute. And this was a psalm of repentance written by King David when he was convicted of a sin by the Holy Spirit through the prophet Nathan. The sin was that he had taken Uriah's wife and made her pregnant. And he tried to cover this up. But when that plot failed, he had Uriah killed. Now, Uriah was a commander in his army. So, we'll read Psalm 51 now. If you have Bibles... Just follow along in it. I'm going to put on my glasses. It's easier. Okay. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. 
Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, O Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper, Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Yeah, that's quite a psalm, isn't it? And in this psalm, we see David going through a process of repentance only after he was convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit. It didn't come from him. God sent Nathan to him. God knew David that he, God knew David. He had been a man after God's own heart. From youth, he was a brave lover of the Lord. The Lord loved him. God knew that David had a shepherd's heart. And that when he heard the story of the rich man taking the poor man's lamb, he'd be fired up against that man. It would cut through to his heart. And that's what happened. David burned with anger. 2 Samuel 12, 5-7 says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You're the man. And then there's a, I'm not going to read the rest of that. But in verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. And we see David's reaction is to put the man to death. Whoa. But God loved David. He didn't carry it out. I mean, later on, the baby that Bathsheba had did die because that's what happened. But the process of repentance in Psalm 51, if you read that, it's so from the heart. David is just opening himself completely to God. He's not hiding anything. He's totally opening his heart to God. Acknowledging that God is merciful, but that God has a right to expect us to be obedient. He expects things from us, but he gives us, he gives us the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. And I was, this is not on my thing, but 
David had sort of got a bit flabby when it was the time for kings to go out to war. He didn't go out to war. He stayed in his palace. And it says that in the evening he got up from his bed. So he had, he had a routine. There was not honoring of God, I suppose. And um, I like to sleep, I have to say. But David got flabby. He didn't keep that heart, you know, conversation with God. He, 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 he was enjoying his good kingly life. And it's important for us to keep that connection, isn't it? Because David was not convicted of a sin until God sent Nathan with the word that he knew would convict him. Nothing else would have. Only the Holy Spirit can convict us. And God will send someone along to bring that. The pro- now, just going back to the process of repentance, it's very important for David to recover. Psalm 51 shows us David knew God's heart and fell on his mercy. He knew sacrifices wouldn't be enough. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart you will not despise, O Lord. You see, for David to continue and be the king that God had called him to be and knew that he was, he had to go through that process of repentance. God forgave him, but David had to to just pour out his heart to God in order to recover and carry on and be the king. External good deeds, quick sorries, giving money to the poor, public sackcloth and ashes will not be enough. It's external. God wants the heart, and that's the heart of the matter. God wants our hearts. When he has our hearts, everything will be everything we do is totally from the throne of God. Otherwise it's just from us. We look good or we need to do things from the throne of God so that he can his power can go through us. We we can only do it through the Holy Spirit, but anything else is less than it will not go into heaven with us. It will remain a good deed here in the earth. And, um, but when we do it by the Holy Spirit, we carry it with us into heaven. It's amazing. God wants our hearts. So I believe we have to go through the process of repentance. It's for us. It's for us. It's for ourselves to know and acknowledge God's sovereignty to the extent that we are totally forgiven. And even the memory of the sin is gone from us. That's why we have to go through it. It's not for God, it's for us. Um, and I, repentance is like a laxative for the soul. It purges the sting and even the memory of it. And it's flushed away forever. This is what the Lord gave me. I saw the parallel between the spirit and the physical. When people are constipated, it's so restrictive. The food doesn't taste right. Nothing. And when our soul is is constipated, the word of God doesn't 
hit us the way it would. It wouldn't, doesn't fill us the way. So we, repentance is for us. It's not for, about God wanting to punish us. It's for us acknowledging who we are, who God is. He has every right to expect all of our hearts. And that's what he wants. This is real fire and brimstone and lead. <laughs> Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. The cross completes our reconciliation to God through the shed blood of Jesus. God did it. Going through repentance is for us to have complete freedom to participate in kingdom life fully. Life to the full, knowing we're not carrying condemnation. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1 9 says, no, 1 John, yeah, 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Yes, this is our God. As far as the east is to the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103, verse 12. When we purge ourselves, we know that. We can read it and not know it, but when we come before God and with a clean heart, bring our heart to him, he cleans us up, and we know without a doubt we are well, it is well with our soul. We are with God. We're here in him. A clean page every day is a mighty weapon against the accuser of our souls. A clean page. Knowing that your page is clean. He has nothing. Jesus said he has nothing on me. And we can say the same through the blood of Jesus. Now David was a good king, really. A man after God's own heart. But there was another king, Ahab, King Ahab. I think it was about 100 years later, around that time, I don't know. And he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than anyone before him. He was a Baal worshiper. His wife was Jezebel. She killed the prophets. Ahab was a pretty bad guy. Elijah... The prophet came to him after he had, what he did is he wanted a vineyard that was next to his palace. And I think Naboth was the man's name that owned the palace. And he he asked uh, the vineyard and he asked Naboth to sell him the vineyard. And Naboth said, far be it for me to sell this inheritance of mine. I can't do it. And King Ahab was so angry, he went back to the palace and sulked. And his wife said, you're the king. Why, why are you sulking? You, you should have every right to get that vineyard. I'll get it for you. And she had poor old Naboth put to death, really. He was stoned to death in the end. 
Now, King Ahab went down to get the vineyard, and um, Elijah the prophet came to him. And this is from 1 Kings 16.30. Elijah came to him with the... I had pronunciation of the Lord, but it's the denunciation of the Lord on him because of his evil. But Ahab really got convicted of, for once he got convicted of his, what he had done wrong. And he said, he, he um, put on sackcloth and ashes, fasted and went around his palace meekly. And he was such a, not a, not a good king, but it says when Ahab heard these, clothes, these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me, said the Lord? Because he has humbled himself. I will not bring disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. That's verse 27 of 1 Kings 21. It's it's an interesting thing to read. Ahab was, you know, not a good king. But he put on sackcloth and ashes and he repented. See God's heart here. Let's just think of God's heart. Have you noticed Ahab has humbled himself, he said to the prophet. I mean, what's, isn't God so good? Just that bit of humbling himself turned around and Ahab, he, he, he did, it didn't change his ways or anything, but for that time that was lifted off him. Humbling ourselves can change things. Humbling ourselves through repentance and fasting can hold back the enemy in this generation. Like Moses, Mordecai and Esther, who I wanted to talk about, the Bible is full of accounts of intercession through prayer and fasting, changing outcomes for nations. Finally, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and turn and heal their land. 2 Chronicles 7.14 We need the Holy Spirit to help us, to help us, to convict us Not for condemnation, but for the people around us, for the nations. We need the Holy Spirit that we can be available and willing to stand in the gap. And this Lent season, maybe that's a time to take baby steps towards Focusing on the Lord until we come to a place where we, we can intercede. It's for other people. <laughs> the whole thing is we have been forgiven. It's for other people. So, and I just pray that 
we can take this word and that someone will bring the word for intercession, what it means and how we can go about it. Because I think that's what it's all about. But we need to have our own hearts cleaned and that's for us so that we can be fully filled with the Holy Spirit and go about doing good, healing the sick, prophesying, bringing words of comfort, speaking into dark situations, leading everything that we need. God has equipped us. We just need to be open to that. So bless you all. Have a good Sunday. That was an amazing word. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we we trust your word. And we know that sometimes words can be hard to bring. And Father, I just pray your blessing on it. And we thank you for that word because it touched me. And I pray it touches everyone who sees this message, Lord, in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.